Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. Good morning. It's uh, great to be with you here uh, having the privilege of preaching God's Word. And before uh, I begin, I just want to say thank you to our praise team and to Eugene. Uh, Some of you may have been wondering, who is this guy leading up here? And uh, I was supposed to come on time, but for reasons which I'll divulge later, I wasn't able to. And so, Eugene, great job. Praise team, everyone who serves on praise team, thank you so much for dealing with me and, and continuing to serve the Lord. And so I just wanted to express my uh, gratitude to our team. Uh, Could we pray for a minute? Father, thank you so much that we get to be gathered here this morning to worship you. And Lord, uh, thank you so much that uh, this time is all about you. It's all about knowing you more. It's all about letting you and the life that you've given us through Jesus become more of the reality of our lives so that we could experience what you've always intended for us and so that the world could know what you've wanted for the world. And Lord, we pray that as we learn more about your word, that your word would go forth with power, Lord. I just want to acknowledge, God, that I'm not confident in my ability or power and strength. And if I am, Lord, in any way, would you just remove that from me? But Lord, we want to affirm together as a church that we are confident in your power, your ability, and your strength. Father, what is about to happen is something amazing and supernatural, that a man could preach the very word of God and that people's lives could be changed. And so, Lord, we invite you to do that good work. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today, uh, the title of the sermon is Worry, the Kingdom Perspective, uh, taken from Matthew chapter 6, 24 to 35. If you have your Bible with you, would you open it up to that text? And if you don't, would you just look up here? Let's read through uh, the text together. It's taken from the English Standard Version, so let's read. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You can read it along with me. Look at the birds of the air. There we go. They neither sow nor reap nor, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, I would say that I've been a worrier from childhood. Uh, I remember when my parents used to drop my brother Ben and I off at uh, daycare, we would expect our parents back at 5 o'clock. And we were at daycare in second and third grade. And once 5 o'clock hit, I'd be waiting for my mom's car to pull up. But if it was late, I would get really worried. And then if it was like 10 minutes late, I would start crying. And I would think that maybe they died and now I have to take care of my brother and what are we going to do? And my brother would, and so I'd go behind the swings and I would just cry to myself, my parents are dead. And my brother would, this was like a weekly occurrence. And my brother was always like, what is your deal? And then my parents' car would pull up and then they would laugh at me too. But, you know, and then going into young adulthood, do you guys remember finals? And remember finals week where you thought you wouldn't survive through this week? I had those every semester where I was just like, I'm not going to make it. As if like I would just die because all of the pressure and the stress, my body would just be like, that's it, we're done, I'm dead. But I'm here still and I survived through that. And even now as an adult, as a teacher, uh, you know, I I wonder, I worry about how my student's going to act and how are they going to behave. And when I present this lesson, are they going to screw around and what what are they going to do? And even this morning, as I was, last night as I was preparing the sermon on worry, I was very worried. And today, when we got into the car, the car wouldn't start and I was even more worried. And so I feel like this, this just is me, you know, and I don't know, raise your hand if you're a worrier like me. Maybe not to the extent, but you just worry about stuff. And yeah, you know, maybe it's like how we're wired. Raise your hand if you're, you're, you just don't worry too much. You just kind of let things go. Look around. These are the irresponsible people. <laughs> yeah, that's you. <laughs> how many nudges went into the side of a husband or spouse at that point? Uh, yeah, you know, I think we all worry about different things, right? I'm sure you've had situations where a friend or a family member will come up to you and tell you that you're, they're so worried about this one thing and you just, you don't get it. You're like, I, I, I don't see what you're so worried about. You've done this a million times. You'll, you'll be fine. God will provide. It'll be okay. But it's, it's healthy, I think, to have a good worry. In a sense, like, it's, it's a healthy thing to have a worry about maybe a family member or a friend who's not doing something um, that's healthy for them. And it's healthy to have a worry about people who don't know who Jesus is. I think those are healthy worries. But today, we're talking about the bad worry. You know the worry that I have right now that's not in my stomach? You know when you can't go to sleep at night because you're just so preoccupied with things? You know when you wake up and you, you just feel so tired because there's knots in your neck and you've just been preoccupied and tossing and turning? That's the kind of worry that we want to talk about today. Well, let's get some background first. This whole idea of worrying that Jesus tells us from, this, uh, from the Bible is taken from the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, just to give you a little background, it's a description of the kingdom of God. You know, first Jesus talks about the attitudes of kingdom citizens. You know, the Beatitudes, you know, uh, blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the. He tells about the attitudes of kingdom citizens. 
Then he goes on to talk about the irresistible lifestyle of kingdom citizens. You know, this is where we get, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And then Jesus starts talking about the standards of kingdom living. He says, do not commit adultery. Do not lie. Do not murder in your heart. And he kind of raises the bar. You all remember that? Well, it's a description of the kingdom of God. Jesus goes on in the Sermon of the Mount to talk about the opposite of kingdom living. This is where he talks about, don't pray in front of people to impress them. You know, don't fast just so people will think that you're so holy. That's the opposite of kingdom living. That is not what I'm about. Then Jesus, in this particular section, talks about the perspective of kingdom citizens. And that's when he talks about worry. And where he says, um, what is your treasure? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. He talks about those who will distort the kingdom message. People will come in and say that the kingdom of God is like this. And people will come in and tell you that this is what the kingdom of God is like. But that's not it. He talks about the way into the kingdom. You know the passage where he says, uh, there's going to be a lot of people in that last day who said, Lord, we did this and we did this and we did this. And then Jesus says, I never knew you. Jesus talks about the way into the kingdom and the way is to do the will of the Father. And then finally, the Sermon on the Mount ends kind of with the life of one who follows the king. Do you remember the parable of the, the person who built their life on the sand versus the rock? And the, the whole Sermon on the Mount kind of wraps up with this idea of if you build your life on the rock, on what I just talked about, kingdom values, kingdom perspective, you will be on the rock. That will be your sure foundation. But if you choose not to, your life will be ending up on sand. And so that's the kingdom perspective. And so right now we're going to kind of zoom in on the part where Jesus tells about perspective that kingdom citizens will have. So basically there's only two points here. The first one is this. Do not worry. Jesus says that three times in the text. And so when he says it three times, it's like bold, it's italicized, it's underlined. Do not worry. And it's so easy to just hear that and be like, I get it, but I don't get it. Well, again, what kind of worry? It's that worry that is not healthy. It's the worry that makes God less and you and your problems more. It's the kind that leads to inaction. It's the kind that questions God's provision and his protection. Well, the first thing, do not worry. It's a command, right? Well, why does he give us that command? He wants us to help enjoy our relationship with God and others. That's why we're not to worry. Look at the text with me. It says this, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus is just saying, You know, isn't living more important than all these worries? Isn't life to enjoy a day, to experience God fully, to express him fully, isn't that so much more? You know, Jesus said in John chapter 8, he came to give us life and give it to the full. And so my charge to you and me this morning is live life, choose life. You know, Why is it on Friday afternoons, we're in the best mood, right? We're in such good moods. And then Sunday evening, this is my depression day. Like, this is when the depression of the week sets in. And for teachers, it's the pressure of 
okay, I've got my lesson plans to prepare, and this is what I've got to do. You know, for some reason, I just like being home on Sunday. Does anyone else like to just be at home on Sunday? I don't like going out and being with people. I just like to be home to mentally prepare for the onslaught of what the week is. I don't know why I developed that, but I just did. And I I remember when uh, Renee and I first got together, I uh, was working for Accenture, and I had a project up in Milwaukee. So every Sunday night, I would drive up to Milwaukee, and I would be talking to her about, oh, I hate work. This stinks. Oh, my gosh. And then every Friday afternoon, I didn't notice how I was coming off to her, but uh, there was one time I was driving back, and she goes, I could totally tell when it's Friday with you. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you're in such a good mood. And I was like, oh. And to me, it was eye-opening, right? It was eye-opening that just the stress of the day and the week just came out. Does that happen to you? And I think this is Jesus' charge is, is not life more important? And I, I think every time we worry about and being, we, and we're anxious, it just kills our soul. Now, I think the second thing, uh, worry is, do not worry is a command to help us enjoy our relationship with God and others. And it's a, it's a command to embrace our limitations. Jesus asked this, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? You know, I think Every day and every week, we are prone to thinking that we're in control. And we're, we're control freaks, right? I think some of the things that we at least consume my mind are some of the things that we think we can control. We think we can control our kids becoming Christians, right? And we think that if we send them to the right school and if we put them with the right friends and if we give them the right teaching, that's... There's the recipe, and they should become Christians, right? Or we think that we can protect ourselves from a broken world around us. You know, we choose to live in certain neighborhoods, or we choose not to go certain places, or we choose to avoid certain people. And we think that we can protect ourselves. Or we think that we can store up enough of a nest egg. We've been talking about uh, retirement and what's our 401k plan and our 403b and do we have enough money so that when we retire, we're going to be okay. But then when we encounter situations that are beyond our control, we just don't know how to handle it. I mean, I, I, I think right now we're kind of in the grand experiment of children, aren't we? Like for those of us who have kids, it's like, does this Jesus thing really work? Will they really become Christians when they grow up? And I think that when we encounter a situation where, you know, a pastor's kid or some kid in the church doesn't become a believer, we don't know what to do. We're like, what went wrong? You know, the parents must have done something wrong or the church didn't do something right or something must have happened. Or when a drunk driver or some some disease ravages a friend or a family member and they die, we don't know how to process that. Or where our 401k and and all the retirement and all the money we saved up has has been lost because of someone's selfishness or just because of the tide of the market. We don't know what to do, right? 
But the reality is there's only so much we can do and say and act that's going to change the things around us. I think that's why Jesus says, which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? You know, there's great freedom when we can say, not out of resignation or not out of just giving up, that's all I can do. You know, um, there's this uh, Christian artist named Keith Green. Ever, anyone ever heard of this guy? So when I was not a believer, uh, I was in high school, and, and some, some older guys who were believers, they brought us to their apartment to watch this video on Keith Green. And Keith Green, for those of you who don't know, who's, he's a very passionate musician who lived in, the, uh, late 70, or lived in the 70s, early 80s, came out with this music, and it was just so intense. He had this big afro and this big beard, and he was just going crazy. And I remember our, our friends brought us there, and um, I was watching this video, and I just started laughing. I was like, this guy is a freak show. Because he was so passionate about Jesus and he believed in God so much, I was like, what is wrong with this man? And so recently, uh, uh, someone gave me some Keith Green stuff and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And one of the songs, I don't know if you know this song, it's just blessed me so much. This is how I go to school every day. It's, it, uh, the, the title is uh, Jesus Takes Care of the Rest. And it just goes, just keep doing your best, pray that it's blessed, and Jesus takes care of the rest. And every day when I, I drive to work and I'm thinking about my lesson plan, I'm thinking, oh, is this going to work? And I just play that song and gosh, it ministers to my soul. I, I, just, I just have so much freedom when I can just let go and just know that, you know what, there's only so much I can do. But I think there's great fear when we think we're in control, right? There's this author, John Ortberg, he's a pastor, he says, we tend to be preoccupied by our problems when we have a heightened sense of vulnerability and a diminished sense of power. And that's how I feel very often. Two weeks ago, I'm a pretty strict teacher. I don't know if you can tell that by the way that I am, but I'm a pretty strict teacher. And, you know, my rules go in the classroom, man. We don't play around. We're here to learn, and we have fun, too. I mean, we, we have, we're goofy and things like that. And recently, I got a student from... Uh, Cabrini Green. And, um, you know, they've been uh, relocating a lot of kids and families from that, that housing project to different areas. This particular girl, um, her, the, she, she's become a ward of the state. So the state took her away, uh, her away from her mom for reasons unknown to us. And so she, she was brought to our school. So I knew she was going to be a tough cookie because of the experiences that she had. Well, I wasn't prepared for the time when she got upset with another girl in our class. She whipped off her belt, put a lock on the end, and was about to beat this other girl with the lock. And I was going, that wasn't in my lesson plan. And all I could say was, you don't want to beat someone here with that belt right now. That's not going to be a good thing. But, you know, I, I diffused the situation, and, you know, she was, taking, she was taken down to the office and things, but... You know those things at work or with a friend or a family that just sit in your mind and you just churn and churn? And then when you drive back, when you go home to your family or your friends and it's churning and churning and they're like, are you here? Are you with me here? And you're just not. That's how I was. And it it took so long. And I was playing Keith Green, man, but I, I didn't care what he was saying because what I was doing was 
it, it wasn't translating to me. And so I think eventually it got to a point where, you know, my stomach was just getting in knots about how am I going to deal with her and, and my, my neck was tightening up and just all these things. And eventually I just had to let go and just say, Lord, I cannot control the actions of this child. And, and eventually she and I are, have a really good relationship now. And you can pray for her because she told me that she was going to run away from the foster home that she's a part of. And she, she did. And so the state is now looking to find where she is because nobody knows where she is. Uh, but it was just another situation where now all I can do is just pray that God will take care of her. But again, just giving up that control to the Lord. You know, uh, I, I think it's good for people of all ages, no matter who you are or where you are, to just remind yourself of this picture, right? There's only, you're, you're so small and your power is so limited. You know, being in nature, maybe that's what you need. Maybe being in nature or going for a walk reminds you of how small you are and really how much power you have, which is little to nothing. And I think sometimes we start to believe our own press or we're just so much in our world that we think that there's so much riding on our shoulders and who we are and what we can do. And it's good to just take a step back. And I would just ask you to think about what are those things that help you be small, uh, make you feel small again. You know, for me, I was never a big fan of nature. I always loved what men could create. Like, I loved big buildings, and I loved looking at Saudi Arabia and this vast empire that was created in the desert. And three three or four years ago, Renee is like, "Um, let's go to Vancouver. I was like, Vancouver? Who wants to go to Vancouver? They got a stinky basketball team and pretty much nothing else. But We took that trip to Vancouver, and man, it was amazing. We went glacier hiking, and I was standing at the foot of this glacier that was just so vast and so huge, and I was looking at these mountains, and and we went uh, zip trekking. Have you ever heard of that, where you just go, you're, you know, you're on this line and you're going across like line to line through these trees. And we were in this temperate um, rainforest and we're just walking through these redwoods and these huge trees. And I was just like, wow. And I remember that trip for me changed everything about how I viewed nature. And I was like, you know what? What God has created is infinitely more amazing than anything man can do. And so I'm on this mission with my kids and with my students at school to just get them small, just make them feel small, but through different ways. And maybe, you know, sometimes I try to keep them up with world events, but they don't care about that stuff. You know, internet and technology for for kids and for even for us, I think it's good because it's made our world small in some ways, but then I think it also can be unhealthy where you know, we, we blog because everybody's listening to us or we write these things, we tweet because what we're going through is totally different from what anyone else has experienced. And I think that's when the internet and all that kind of stuff can be unhealthy, right? And I think for my students, I see it all the time because they are just, whatever the media tells them is that's what's big and that's what's huge. And so for them, Justin Bieber is everything. You know, he is the one who defines what's cool and what's not. And, you know, I was telling my student, uh, I-, I was telling this one girl that 
I watched um, uh, an interview with Justin Bieber on Oprah, and she shoved me against the wall, and she screamed because she's in love with him. And I was like, what just happened? But, you know, I'm not here to critique the deep lyrics of baby, 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 oh. But, uh, you know, I, I was more here to just make the point of, you know, just something about his album title just disturbs me. My World 2.0. And his first album was My World. Now, again, nothing against Justin, but I think this is kind of the worldview that our kids are growing up with, right? Like, what happens to me and what goes on in my life and what is important to me and everything that revolves around me is, that's what's the world. And I'm just trying to just get kids to take a step back. Does anyone know what this is? Anyone? This is Twism. It is the logo of the failed clothing line of Shaquille O'Neal. I, I don't know why the head is so small and the arm is like mangled and stuff, but you know what Twism stands for? It's tattooed on Shaq's arm, on his bicep. It stands for the world is mine. And I remember, you know, when he was... 325 pounds and pure muscle, and he could dominate anyone. I could see why he would believe such a ludicrous thing. But I think, you know, in the last playoffs where when Cleveland was exited so quickly and he's running very slowly, I don't know how he could look at that tattoo and, and really believe that. You know, I, I know these are small examples, but it just goes to point this, that Athletes who think that the world is theirs, I mean, just ridiculous to people who think they can conquer the world. I mean, throughout history, men have tried to conquer the world. We just start to think that we're so big, and I think we need to recapture that sense of smallness. I was so blessed this last week. We were watching a show on, on uh, I think it was Channel 11, and there was this woman and her father who... Um, they run an elephant preserve. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. And so we listened to this interview with her. I was so blessed by this elephant woman. She was like, uh, the, the, the interviewer asked her, why are you so passionate about saving these ele- elephants? And I was waiting for the, the answer, like, you know, you know, we're all here for a cause and you got to devote yourself to a cause. But she said something that was so brilliant. And she said, you know, when I'm with these majestic creatures, it makes me realize how small I am and how powerless I really am. And I was like, who are you? You are awesome. But just that feeling, that sense of smallness, of really insignificance is, is something that uh, I think we need to grasp every once in a while. I think it's good um, to sometimes say, as the psalmist says in uh, Psalm eighty-nine, eleven. The heavens are yours. The earth is also yours and the world and all that it is in it. You have founded them. I think it's healthy sometimes every morning to just kind of remember that, to meditate on that, to think about what's the implication on that for your life. Well, so we talked about the command, right? God commands us because it allows us to have a good relationship with him and others. It reminds us that we are limited, but I think it's also a reminder that we're deeply loved. You know, Jesus has two examples in the text. 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He also says this, If God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? You know, Jesus' point is this. You and me, if you belong to God, we are so much more valuable. God knows you and he knows your needs. But you know, I think a lot of times we see an immediate need before us and we just think we got to act, right? You see that you don't have enough money coming in. And so you just think, okay, I I just got to get a job. I got to go find a job. I got to go do something. You see that something has happened with uh, your safety or your kid's safety and you just decide, well, I got to go do this and I got to go do that. And we we just call the shots a lot. And I think before we even get to that, I think we need to just take a step back and just say, God, my power is limited. My ability is limited. You're the one who loves me. You know all of my needs. Help me. You know, I, I think we wonder, how do you know when you're acting out of fear or faith? Like, should I take this job? Sometimes it's not so clear cut, right? Someone will say, why don't you pray about it? And then in, as you pray, you don't get any sense of direction or anything like that or why don't you read some scripture and you try like the flip open technique and see if God will tell you in a verse and that doesn't work anymore because God loves you too much to let you do that but I think one of the ways that we neglect is just each other you know when was the last time that you scheduled an appointment with one of the pastors to say my job is not meeting uh, our income needs I'm thinking about relocating. I'm thinking about moving to this career. What do you think? You know, have someone who has a a perspective to just kind of shed some light on that with you. You know, a lot of times we'll talk to maybe our spouse, but the, the fault with that is that you guys are just in your own little bubble and you can't see outside of what to do and how possibly God can work. And so I would just invite you and ask you, Who are you involving in your decision-making? And allow the Lord to come into that. Jesus is kind of reminding us through this verse, your heavenly Father feeds them, right? He says, oh, you of little, if God would do that for, for birds and for grass, what about you? I want to remind you that you have a Father. Let that just sink in. You know, in verse 31 and 32, Jesus says, don't worry because you know what? The Gentiles, the people who don't even believe in God, they run after those things. But you be different because you have a father. You know what? I think this verse uh, in Romans is just phenomenal because nothing, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is good truth. And sometimes you just need to be reminded of that. God loves me. Nothing can separate me from his love. Let me just trust him in this. Let me just trust my kids. Let me just trust my career, my path. Well, what's Jesus' antidote? Uh, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's all Jesus says to us. He just says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things 
will be added to you. Well, how do you seek God's kingdom? How do you actually do that? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I think you let God rule again through repentance. Okay? I think you confess that bad worry. You know, I I think we need to just get over that worry is not a small sin. Like a lot of times when you're talking to your friends or if you're talking to a close friend and you're confessing something or you're talking to your pastor and saying, well, you know, I've had this problem with lust or anger or unforgiveness. I'm worried. You know, we, we just tend to think that worry is just this little, little thing. But I think we need to just let worry be what it is. It's this, it's this thing that left unchecked can really kill your soul. I think when we worry, we begin to think the way that Satan wanted Eve to think in the garden. Did God really say that? Did he really say he's going to take care of you? I know you're his kid, but I, and I know you've done all the right things, but is he really going to provide for you? Is he really going to take care of this need? Will he really be there in the midst of that situation? I think you may need to do something. I think you may need to step. I think that's what Satan wants us to do. He, that's what he wants us to believe. You know, I think through all of the Bible, as you look throughout all the Bible, God is constantly telling his kids that he's going to provide and he's going to protect. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to protect you. You just take care of this. Just let people know about me. I'll provide for you. I'll protect you. Just live obediently. I'll provide for you. I'll protect you. Just trust me. All throughout Scripture, just confess, you know what, that worry is not beneficial to you. I don't know if, if, you're, if you're in a relationship right now or if you uh, are someone in your own family who says, well, you know, we have to worry because otherwise everything will just fall apart or I have to worry because you don't know all the things I have to do and I have to worry about these things because look at who I'm married to because he or she is not going to worry about it and so somebody's got to take care of that, right? But you don't realize what, you, what happens as you do worry. When you worry, I want you to think this because I have to constantly remind myself of this. It prevents intimacy and growth and relationship, doesn't it? I mean, when you're with someone that you're close to and you tell them irritated, I'm so worried about this. Does that bring you guys closer? <laughs> Not really, right? It does choke God's word. As soon as you worry, as soon as that, the stuff starts churning, you know all those promises that you hear on Sunday, that you leave Sunday right after church like, man, I'm so blessed. It's like a big blanket gets put over all those things. Worry chokes God's word. Worry causes us to lose perspective, right? We start to think that everything else is so big and God is so small and we can't handle this. And worry does lead to other sin. Just be reminded of that. It prevents intimacy. You know, it chokes God's word. It causes us to lose perspective. It leads to other sin. What sin does it lead to for you? You know, for me, it leads to anger and irritability. When I'm working on my lesson plans on Sunday evening and um, Renee or the kids wants to come up and talk to me about something or take care of something, I get annoyed. I get irritated. Don't they realize the importance of this lesson on the Mayans that's going to change the lives of these 24 students that will cause them to change the world? 
Don't you see how deluded it gets? When you think, you know, when your husband or, or your wife or a family member asks you to do something, but your spreadsheet that you have to finish for work is so important because the life of this Fortune 500 company is riding on what your input is for this little Excel file. You know, we got to just take a step back and let God's word remind us, be reminded. I think another thing that what we can do is memorize God's word, you know. Um, wherever you're at, put some scripture where you see it every day. Maybe that's like in the, in the kitchen, right by the sink where you see that. Maybe it's in your bathroom on the mirror as you're getting ready. Just remind yourself of some things. I have, my, I have a Bible open on my overhead projector at school. and I, Yeah, I have it open to whatever verse I need. And sometimes I'll be reading it as I'm writing something and my kids will go, why are you reading that? And I go, well, right now homicide wouldn't be a good thing and that's really what's in my heart. And then they just go, okay. But I just put God's word where I need it, man. And sometimes that's where you need to put it too. Put it in your car. Put it, you know, wherever it is. Just let God's word soak in your heart. I think another thing that is so helpful is getting rest. Uh, I remember recently telling Pastor Dave, I'm just so worried about all these things. And he's like, you need to go sleep. And I was like, why don't you empathize with me? Don't you see my problems? And he's like, you know what? You've told me about this a million times. I think you just need to get some rest. And that was a good word. And I think a lot of us, as we worry and get consumed, maybe it's just time to step back and just rest. This last weekend, Renee and I celebrated our seventh wedding anniversary. And so we were able to go downtown Chicago, so far away from our children. But you know what? As you get older, isn't it weird? Like, you just need like four hours away from kids to restore sanity, isn't it? Or like, you just need like 12 hours away from life to kind of regain perspective. Isn't it so true? And so I would just advocate, you know, when's a vacation that you can plan? Or just a quick getaway. Evanston. Oh, it could be life-changing for you down there. But again, just get some rest. And lastly, just something that uh, is, again, something that really is an antidote to worry is worship. Let God become big again. The times I worship is in the car ride to school. I just play some music and just play it over and over and over and over again. And, and sometimes it penetrates my heart and sometimes it doesn't. But I need those times of regular worship. And I think now, you know, like as we end, it's just time to worship the Lord. Just be reminded of how big he is. Well, Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and seek his righteousness. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount is all about a kingdom that you and I are part of. And he wants us to remember his righteousness. Remember the king. Remember his character. Who is he to you? He saved you when you were not lovable. He saved you when you didn't even care about him. He saved you when you were going in the opposite direction. He is faithful. Look at all those things that you've been through with him. And no, it, it wasn't easy, but he got you through it. 
He's a king who loves you and cares for you. And as you remember the king and the kingdom that you're a part of, you remember that he's credible and that you can do it. Well, over the past few days uh, with my son Micah, and I'll talk about Micah because Ethan doesn't talk very much yet in, in intelligible language, but over the last you know, week or so with Micah, uh, I've had to give him different consequences. And, and right before I give him the consequence, I say, do I love you? Do I care about you? And sometimes he's crying because he knows the consequence is coming and he says, oh, yes, yes. But then yesterday I said, do I love you? And he goes, yes. Do I care about you? No. Oh, I got so angry. I was like, what? What did you say? And I was like, I care about you. Don't ever say something like that. And I was like, do I care about you, Micah? Do I really care about, even though I'm giving you this consequence, do I care about your soul, the person you're becoming? And he's like, and I was like, good. You know, to a parent, it's so offensive if a, a child would say, you don't care about me or you, love, you don't love me. And I know that some of us have had parents who haven't deserved that, right? But for our Heavenly Father, to just be reminded of that. You know, uh, yesterday we were at the church office and Mike and I were together and we were walking down some stairs together and it was really uh, steep, you know, the stairwell at, at the office. And he goes, I'm scared. And I go, am I with you? Will I let anything happen to you? And he's like, no. And so we went down. And yesterday I was playing with Ethan. I had Ethan on my shoulders. And he's like, do what you're doing to e- with Ethan to me. Do what you're doing with Ethan to me. You know, the jealousy thing. And I look at him and I go, do I love you more than Ethan? No. Do I love Ethan more than you? No. And as he goes to bed, he sees these shadows. And I go, is Jesus with you? Yes. Is anything going to happen if Jesus is with you? No. You know, kids need to be reminded all the time, right? And I think that's you and me. You know, you will worry. Maybe some of you will worry as soon as you get into your car and then you're like, oh, you know, all that church feeling stuff, that was all good, but I got to take care of some business right now. And you will worry. Or maybe you're going to worry about the relationships that you've had or uh, some relational issues, or you're going to worry about your job or your marriage or your future. You know what? I still worry. But I think that's the testimony of Scripture, isn't it? Look at Abraham. He was about to sacrifice his son and he trusted God, but then when he went into a new land, he told his wife to pretend that he was his, she was his sister so that they wouldn't get, he wouldn't die. I think we're going to have those periods of up and down, up and down, up and down. You know what? No sermon, no self-help technique. You're going to hear a million, maybe read a million books on worry. If this is kind of your thing that really, you know, uh, besets you, it's going to keep happening in your life. But I think all we can come to is just a continual trust in the King. Just continually coming back to that. And I think that's why Jesus says, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
Jesus is kind of saying, you know what? It's going to happen. You're going to get worried. But just reminded of the king. Be reminded. So again, just encourage you. Be reminded that you're a citizen of the king. You know, Jesus came and died in your place. His blood is what cleansed you, and that's what allows you to be in the kingdom. There's kingdom priorities that our Father wants us to attend to. He's like, let me take care of the providing. Let me take care of the protecting. You take care of the kingdom stuff. Obey. Persevere. Every day, we just live out our citizenship under the king, and we give others a taste of what the kingdom ruled under the king looks like. So in this moment and in this situation, I just want to invite us to just pray and just be reminded of the king to follow him and to recommit ourselves to him. Let's pray. This time, uh, maybe there's some things on your mind or your heart that have just been consuming you. Maybe even this past week you weren't able to sleep because of some things. Just invite you to be reminded of your kingdom's citizenship. Uh, to be reminded of who the king is, his track record, and what he's done. But let's come before the God and just recommit ourselves to him and recommit our worries and our anxieties to him. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.